All right, well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here. Thankful for Sundays. Thankful for this time of fellowship. Thankful for your goodness. And now we thank you for your word. We ask that your word would find its uh, root in our lives, that it would bring forth fruit to your glory, and that you would get all the praise out of what's happening in our lives. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Psalm 145, and we'll read the first three verses. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 4 is where it says, One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. But I want to stop right there. I know we've been talking about Psalms on Wednesday night. If you've been here on Wednesday night, you knew we were doing that. If you didn't, then I'm telling you now. We've been talking about Psalms on Wednesday nights. We've skipped around and done a few of them. But as I was uh, thinking about this month coming up, uh, November is when we celebrate Thanksgiving. And I'll be honest with you, I'm with Aaron. Uh, this is not a Thanksgiving day, it's a Thanksgiving month, amen. So Aaron told Mark that he didn't have to go to school the entire month of November because it is Thanksgiving month. Hallelujah. He's a smart kid. Man, he's a smart kid. Ah. And I know that some folks on, uh, some people on Facebook take the time during the month of November to do like something that they're thankful for or grateful for every day, which honestly I think is a powerful thing. You know, uh, to uh, take every day and think about something that you can be thankful for because there's a whole lot of other crazy stuff on Facebook, a whole lot of other crazy stuff that makes everybody, because normally Facebook's like the complaining platform, right? I just want to get on there, just want to let everybody know how I feel, even though I don't want to know how you feel, you're going to tell me how you feel. So at least I can see you say, I'm grateful for, even though after like 11 days you're like, oh, would you be quiet? Just kidding. But I do believe uh, that this month we want to remind ourselves that we should always, always be people of praise and worship. People who are worshipers of God. Now this morning I want to uh, share a message with you I've entitled, The Worship Decision. The Worship Decision. Now how many of you know that life is just full, full of decisions, unfortunately? Uh, Some are easy. Some decisions are easy. Some decisions are hard. And some decisions are easy that we make hard. You ever done that? You ever overthought things? You ever discussed things? You ever been in 16 committee meetings and no one has yet made a decision? We take easy decisions and we make them hard decisions. Now, decisions do come easy for some people, people that are natural leaders. They like to take the lead. They like to grab the bull by the horns. They're like, nobody wants to make a decision. I'll make a decision. Even if it's the wrong one, I'm going to make a decision, right? And then there are some people that making a decision is painful and should be avoided at all costs. That if you ask them to make a decision, it's like you're saying to them, we're about to pull every fingernail out of your hand, right? Because I don't want to make a decision. There are those people who are carefree. They're down to earth. They're like, yeah, whatever. I'm with you. Whatever decision you want to make, I'm fine with that decision. You know those kind of people? Those kind of people are just like, ah, whatever. Where do you want to go? I'm with you. Whatever you want to go. Right? I don't care. And then you have those people that don't want to make decisions refuse to make the decision, and then complain about the decision that gets made. Y'all know anybody like that? Don't point at anyone, right? People like that. So what do you want? 
you know, going out to eat normally is like hell on earth, isn't it? What do y'all want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? I don't care. What do you want to eat? What are you going to eat? Yeah. Well, I want to go, uh, let's go eat Mexican. No, I don't want Mexican. <laughs> oh, well, you said you didn't care. Well, I don't want Mexican. Oh, well, let's get some Chinese. No, I'm not in the mood for Chinese. <laughs> yeah. How about, how about Italian? No, nah, I don't want Italian. Do you want food? Food? Food in general. Right? That's one of those evenings where you end up at, like, McDonald's. Forget it! <laughs> Getting a Big Mac. Tired of waiting on someone to make a decision. <laughs> no matter who we are, no matter where we are, we all have to make decisions, whether we like to or not. We have to make decisions. And some decisions are minor. Some decisions are everyday decisions. Some decisions are not that important. And then other decisions obviously can be life-changing and carry all kinds of importance in our life. For example, we chose what to put on today, but that decision is not going to change the world in any significant way. Some of you may think the shoes I put on today is literally changing the world. It's not. <laughs> Your outfit is nice. You look nice today, but it's not changing anyone's life. I'm not running to the altar because of the shirt you have on. All right. It's not a significant thing, but who we choose to marry is a life-altering choice. Probably one of, if not the most important choice you will make in this life. What we choose to eat for lunch today is not going to matter in the grand scheme of things. Except for the fact, obviously, it feeds you, it keeps you strong, or maybe if it doesn't agree with you, then it becomes an even more important decision, right? But for the most part, where you choose to eat lunch today, no one is going to die if you choose the wrong place. Not normally. But what career path you choose will obviously affect us in a major way. So there are certain decisions, obviously, that though they may be important and though they may be minor or everyday, they don't, they're not necessarily life-altering, but we have those decisions in our life that will forever change the direction that we are going. We have minor decisions, we have major decisions, and then we have those decisions that have eternal importance. That have eternal importance. And so, before we talk about the worship decision that we make today, we have to understand that there is no more important decision than our response to the message of the gospel. And some of us will say, well, I haven't responded to that choice or that decision. And uh, John Hagee has always been popular in saying there really is no such thing as indecision. Because either you choose to decide or you choose not to decide. But either way, you've chosen Every one of us have to do something with the message of the cross. What will we do with the truth of the resurrected Jesus Christ? This is not just something that we can pass over. This is not just something that we can say in the back of our minds. That it's not that important. As a matter of fact, it's eternal in importance. How will we respond to the grace of God reaching to us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit? These decisions not only affect our lives on this planet, but will determine our destiny. They determine our eternity. So there are, there are some decisions, folks, that we can put off and put off and put off, and it's to the detriment of our eternal souls. And so as we hear the message of the cross, as we hear the message of the resurrected Jesus, there is something we must do with that message because that decision affects our eternity. And so here in this church, if you have 
accepted and responded to the grace of Jesus Christ. We are the chosen people of God. And if we are the chosen people of God, our natural response to this wonderful, amazing salvation is gratitude expressed in praise and worship. The fact is, the church, the people of God, should be the most grateful people on planet Earth with emphasis on the word should. We should be the most grateful people on planet Earth. Why? Because our redeemed hearts, our hearts that once were lost and darkened, and our hearts that at one time were strangers to God and strangers to the covenants of promise, those of us who were lost and Christ has now found, we are redeemed people. And because we are redeemed, our hearts should pursue Jesus with everything that is in us. Why? Because salvation is not a stopping point. We press on to know Him. We press on to grow in Him. We take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. And here this morning, folks, there is nothing that will indicate your hunger for God and His presence more than your worship decision. We can all talk about how much we love the Lord, and we can, talk, we can lift our hands and sing songs in a sanctuary, but we have on our own to make a worship decision. Psalm 145 is actually a psalm of David, and it, the Bible just calls it, the title of it is just a David's psalm of praise. David begins by saying, I will extol you. He says, I will bless you. In verse 21 of this psalm, I believe the last verse of the psalm, he says, My mouth will speak the praise of God. And obviously this psalm reminds me of the famous psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But in Psalm 145, David is saying, I will extol, I will bless, my mouth will speak the praise of God. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all time. These phrases tell us that this song of praise is David's choice. David has made a choice to sing this praise unto God. And I want you to notice here, a lot of these psalms at the beginning, they'll have like an introduction that might give you a little bit of background to the psalm. We read Psalm 51 Wednesday night. In the background of Psalm 51 is David's sin with Bathsheba. And Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. And so there's normally like a background. We don't really have any background to this psalm except that it says it's a song of David. So we don't know anything about the circumstances that David is in. We don't know if David's having a good day. We don't know if David's having a bad day. We don't know if David has messed up. We don't know if David's made a good decision. We have no idea what's happening in David's life. But you know what? That doesn't seem to be the issue with David. The issue with David is not, I'm going to sing this song of praise because of what's happening in my life. doesn't seem to be. There's nowhere in the psalm even that indicates that David is going through some type of struggle or some type of fight or some type of issue. Because the issue is not what circumstance determines whether I should praise God. What circumstance determines whether or not I should worship God. David doesn't say, I will extol thee, God, when I feel good. I will bless your name when everything is going well. My song will be, my lips will sing your praise when everything, when I'm on the mountaintop. We don't see that in this psalm, do we? David, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, who's a scholar, said Psalm 145 is an indeed a monumental praise psalm. 
a fit summary of all David had learned about God during a long lifetime of following hard after the Almighty. David's song of praise here is simply a heartfelt praise because David was enthralled with who God is. That David writes this psalm not because he feels like he has some reason to do so other than the fact that God is God. I need no specific reason to declare today I will extol, I will bless, I will praise, I will worship. David simply made a worship decision. He simply made a decision to worship. And the phrases that he uses, he made the decision to extol. The word extol means to exalt, praise, and lift high. And he praises his God and his king. He made the decision to bless. The Hebrew word for bless actually means to kneel in adoration. He made the decision to praise God's name. And then I want you to look at this psalm. How often will he make this decision? Twice in this passage, in these first three verses, he says forever and ever. Forever and ever. So long before Randy Travis decided to love you forever and ever, and ever and ever, amen. (laughs) David had decided, I'm going to extol, exalt, bless, praise God forever and ever. I don't know about you, but in the Thomas Dictionary, forever means forever. Tomorrow? Yeah, that's forever. Day after tomorrow? That's still part of forever. Six years from now? Forever! And then one time in this, he declares that every single day, every day, I'm going to bless the Lord. In Psalm 34, he says, I will bless the Lord at all Times. His praise will be sometimes in my mouth. Continually. Continually in my mouth. He doesn't say that there will be times during the day or throughout his life or during specific circumstances that he will not make this worship decision. Nowhere in here does he say, I will extol thee forever and ever except, except when I want to eat Chinese and no one else does. I will extol thee forever, except on bad days. Except when I'm not feeling well physically. Except when it feels like God's not answering my prayer. Forever and ever. Forever. Every day. At all times. Continually. These are the defining terms for his worship decision. What words define David's decision? Forever. Every day. At all times. Continually. These are the words that David uses to describe his worship decision. Now, you know, on Sunday mornings, it's easy sometimes to make a worship decision. Because they told you to. Right? Okay, service is starting, everyone. Stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song, and I command you to worship. Oh, okay. Worship decision. I'll make a worship decision, right? Sometimes you do this with your kids, right? Sometimes you have to make decisions for children. Right? Because if you leave kids up to making their own decisions, the world will burn down. Right? So most responsible parents at some point in time have to make decisions. You know, last, last night was trick-or-treat, and the numbers were down. Uh, it's a Saturday night. Everybody was already out partying. 
So there weren't even as many neighbors out. Normally when we walk down Roosevelt, we go down one side of the road and come back the other. Well, we just went down. Picked up candy, brought it back to the house. One house gave out an entire Hershey bar. An entire Hershey bar. That's right. I went downstairs. Avery had this much left of his entire Hershey bar. I said, son, did you eat the entire Hershey bar? The piece of it in his hand, chocolate off the side of his face. Yeah. That's all you get for the rest of the evening, son. There were smaller pieces in there. You could have had those. He made a decision. That's what happens when parents don't make decisions. So during worship sometimes, a decision's being made for us. It's worship time. It's time to worship. We're even told what songs we're going to sing. We might be standing in the sanctuary going, I wouldn't have sang that one. That's not a decision I would have made, Greg. Right? That's why you're out there, not up here. But we're told, this is what you're going to sing. You're going to sing these words. And this is how you're going to do it. Sometimes the song even tells you to lift your hands. And some of you are still going, no. Don't tell me what to do. I will lift my hands when I feel like it. We're being told when to make a worship decision. Sometimes it's easy to do that. But when we make the pursuit of God our primary priority, then we will make the daily worship decision. And we have to realize that. Folks, Greg Boggs is not coming to your office. He's not leading you in worship. He's not coming in, here's the songs I chose. Why don't you stand? There you stand in your cubicle. Lord, not going to happen. You might get fired too. It's a daily decision that we have to make to worship God. But here's the thing. True worship we know is more than just a mental decision. Worship is really an issue of the heart. Jesus said that they that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus told the religious leaders, You draw near to God with your mouths, but your hearts, your hearts are far from Him. See, religious rituals are not necessarily wrong. There's nothing necessarily wrong with ritual. As a matter of fact, religious rituals teach us about the truth of God. When we, when we have communion, it's a ritual that reminds us of the cross, that reminds us of the resurrection. When we sing songs, it's a ritual that reminds us of the goodness of God. So they can teach us the truth about God. Religious ritual even defines for us theology. Theologically, what worship even looks like. But ritual with no heart is empty actions. Ritual with no heart is nothing more than an empty action. So true worship has to do with our heart priorities, first of all. It has to do with what is most important to us. When we ask ourselves, uh, what worship decision am I going to make? Then we have to take a look at our priorities. What do we prioritize in life? What is the most important thing? What is that thing in our life that we cannot do without, that we will make time for? Do you know that the verse of Scripture, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is a worship decision. The decision to seek God first in everyday life is a decision of worship. Because priorities is an indication of who or what we worship. 
Come on now. So that means we have to be honest with the fact of what do we prioritize? Because that's an answer to what we worship. So true worship has to do with heart priorities, and true worship has to do with our heart's treasure. It has to do with our priorities, and it has to do with our treasure, what we value the most in life. So we have to ask the question, who or what is our primary purpose? Who or what has our affections and motivates our desires? Because the Bible says that where our treasure is, so is our heart. That whatever we value the most is an indication of where your heart is. So that means to answer these questions, we obviously have to check our hearts for idols. And nobody wants to do that. Mark, I just want to come and sing a song and feel chill bumps. That's right. And hope that they sing my favorite song. I just want to sing. I just want to worship. I just want to lift my hands. I just want to feel good at the end of the service. Now you're making me get all introspective. Now you're making me look at my heart. Now you're making me ask the question, are there priorities in my life that are simply out of whack? Because when we check our heart's priorities and when we check our heart's treasures, we have to acknowledge that sometimes what may pull us away from Jesus may very well be an idol in our lives. Why? Because the greatest threat to our souls is whatever or whoever keeps us away from God. Whoever or whatever dulls our hunger and our passion for Christ is dangerous for our souls. So what we make our priority and what is our greatest treasure is ultimately a worship decision. And so that means like in Romans chapter 1, Paul says either it's going to be God or it's going to be a God substitute. You're either going to worship the creator or you're going to worship something within creation that brings you your ultimate purpose, your ultimate desire. But one way or another, folks, we're all going to be worshipers. We're all going to be worshipers. So we have to be honest and confront the excuses that we use that keep us from making the right worship decisions. Aren't we good at excuses? Man, we we inherited it. We inherited it from Adam. We inherited it from Eve. We know how to make excuses. We know how to justify things. We know how to say, well, yeah, I know that this is important, but... I know I need to deal with my heart, but... I know I need to confront my idols, but here's the reason why. But we don't we have to deal with those excuses? Man, we all have them, don't we? If you've ever been involved in ministry, if you've ever, if you've ever been involved like in management, if you've ever been involved in sports, everybody has an excuse. Why they can't be there, why they won't be there, or why they think your decision is dumb. Right? Excuses. But we have to confront those. I want to read to you a part of a parable, a story that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 14. He says unto them, a certain man made a great supper or a banquet. And he invites a bunch of folks. And he sends his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come. So the invitations had already been sent. They had already gotten their invitations. So it's not like this is a last minute thing. It's not like somebody called you on a Friday at 4.30 and said, hey, what are you doing for dinner? Okay. The invitations had already been sent. That's what it says. He sent his servants at supper sign to say to them, that were bidden. They had already been bidden. You've been bidden. Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent, all of them, with one consent, begin to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. 
I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. Well, good for you. And therefore, I cannot come. <laughs> They're already henpecked. They just got married. I got married. I can't come. She won't let me. <laughs> Now, obviously, the story goes on. The, the master who, who, who had the banquet says, forget these guys. Go out to the highways and the byways. Compel them to come in. We'll bring in the broken and the hurting and the lost. And, the, and those are the ones that come in. But these that were invited, they'll be left outside. They'll be left outside looking in. Now, we understand what Jesus was saying for, during the story because he's in a room full of Pharisees and lawyers when he tells the story. He was eating dinner at a Pharisee's house at this point in time. So here he is in a room full of religious leaders, and he talks about this great banquet. And the point of the story is, is that these religious leaders, who should have been lovers of the law that would lead them to Jesus, were literally going to miss out on the banquet with God. These folks had treasured the invitation for hundreds of years. God had been promising this Messiah for hundreds of years. This didn't sneak up on them, folks. And now when it was time to come to the banquet, they were making excuses for why they were going to skip out. Jesus said, I came unto my own, my own received me not. So here they are. So God would now reach out to the forgotten, the left out, the broken, and invite them to his table. But these who decided to allow excuses to keep them from coming will end up on the outside looking in. Now we understand that this first and foremost is an invitation to salvation. Come. The table is set. You have been invited to come. Now we can make excuses and miss out on the banquet, which then means for eternity we're on the outside looking in. Or we can say yes to the invitation and respond to the grace of God. But how many of you know that even as the people of God, He is continually inviting us to the banquet? He's continually inviting us to His table. He's continually inviting us to know Him, to to fellowship with Him, to seek Him, to to run after Him, to pursue Him, to pray, to spend time with Him at the banqueting table. So we've all been invited to God's presence. We've all been invited to God's promises. And He calls to our heart every day to pursue Him as our greatest treasure, to make Him our priority, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. To extol and bless and praise our God and King forever, every day, at all times, continually. The same words that David used to describe his worship decision is the same words that we should be using to describe our worship decision. Forever, every day, at all times, continually. But even to this day, we have excuses for why we are making wrong decisions. Now, the first two excuses, there were three excuses here. The first two excuses basically overlap with one another. A guy says, I bought a field, and I need to go look at it, which very few people do that, obviously. It's a strange excuse. Who buys a field without first looking at the field in the first place? All right? But he bought a field. Now he's got to go look at it. Now a guy's bought five oxen. Five yoke of oxen. I gotta go prove them. I've gotta go. I gotta go figure out if they work or not. Again, that's like saying, hey, "I bought a car. I don't know what it looks like. I'm gonna go get it." 
right? But when we look at these things, we could look at them and say, man, what a weird excuse. And we could say, well, what dumb excuses. But really, these were important. These decisions are important. They were basic necessities of life. Without a field of oxen, without fields or without oxen, these folks and their families are going to go without. They're going to go without. So, I mean, we can point a finger at them and say, what a dumb decision. But what is the excuse? I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to make it to the banquet. I'm too busy to make it to the table. I'm too busy. Now, maybe we're not buying oxen. Maybe we're not buying a field. Maybe you are. I don't know. But work needs to be done. Projects need to be completed. Games need to be played. Vacations need to be taken. Hobbies need money. So I asked the question this morning, what in our lives is so pressing, so important, that it would keep us from attending the banquet of prayer, the banquet of reading God's word, the banquet of fellowship with other believers? What is so pressing, what is so important, that it would keep us from God's table? None of us, folks, are too busy to make this invitation to God's table the ultimate priority of our lives. None of us are too busy. And if we are, then we need to realign our priorities. We need to realign our priorities. And I don't say that to condemn. I say that because it's the table where you are most blessed. It is the table where you find your identity. It's at the table that you get to know God. I'm too busy. Just too busy. The third excuse, because those first two kind of go together. The third excuse, which probably hits even closer to home, is I need to focus on my family. I need to focus on my family. Now, obviously, the Bible speaks very highly of marriage. It speaks very highly of, of family. It speaks very highly of being committed to your family. It speaks very highly of, 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 of taking care of your family. Your family must be a priority. It has to be. A priority. And so this guy was too preoccupied with marriage, too preoccupied with his wife, too preoccupied with the responsibilities of being a husband. I was reading, a, doing some research on this story, and I found an article from a guy named Marshall Siegel. And I, I thought this was an interesting phrase. He said, the vows that they had made before God now kept them from God. The vows they had made before God now kept them from God. That's why choosing who you marry is probably, aside from the fact of responding to the grace of God, the most important decision you'll make in your life. Because yes, the Bible even says finding a, a, a good wife is a good thing. But what if that wife is what drags you away from Christ? Then that's when the phrase comes in. Well, as long as they're happy. I just want them to be happy. Do you know that there are happy people that are, in, that are going to be in hell? I don't know. If you know. Happiness is not... If, if being happy, you can say, well, doing drugs makes me happy. As long as you're happy, here's some more. As long as it makes you happy. It's an important decision that you make. You know that Paul actually warns of this fact in 1 Corinthians. 
He says that married folks will often have to fight the temptation of a divided loyalty between the Lord and their spouse. He's like, single people, they, they devote themselves completely to God, but you've got these married people that's got to worry about their husband or their wife. So they have divided loyalties. Paul actually warns about it. But the Bible tells us that these are wonderful blessings of God. Marriage, family, children, these are all wonderful blessings of God. But how many of you know sometimes it's not sin, but it's the blessings that we have in life that are actually the greatest distractions from coming to the table of God? How many people have, how many people have prayed and said, God, bless me and lead me and use me and give me that job that will provide for my family, and then they, they get that job, and then they start making a lot of money, and then they take that money and they buy a lot of things, and then those things take them away from their relationship with God, from fellowship with believers, from spending time in the Word, because I've got to be on the boat. You know, I've got to go use my overhaul of guns and shoot down 60 trees because I bought them all. You know, I've got to fish for six days because I've got all this equipment. Do you know how sickening it is to go fishing and sling that thing out there and it gets hung up on something and you can't get it back and you know there's $7 floating around in the water right now? I just took $7 and threw it in the creek. It's the blessings of life sometimes that actually causes the greatest distractions. And folks, this goes for all relationships that demand our affection, that demand our time. Obviously, this is not just about married people. This is about any relationship that we have in our lives. The the Bible tells us that the companion of fools will be destroyed. If you end up hanging out with the wrong people, you end up in the wrong place. It's not hard. This is not, this is not rocket science. You hang out with wise people, the Bible says you end up wise. You hang out with fools, you end up a fool. So I ask you, the greatest thing we can do, listen, the greatest thing we can ever do for any relationship we're in is to make the decision to worship God first above all else. The best thing you can do for your marriage is decide to put God first. The first, best thing you can do for your children is to decide to put God first. The first thing you, best thing you can do for your friendships is to put God first. But what the excuses really come down to, and I'll try to close this out, what, what the excuses really come down to, what all these excuses come down to, I'm too busy, I've I, I got to focus on my family, what they all come down to is that we have to see that the banquet has to be more important than our own selfish pursuits. The banquet has to be more important to us than the pull of the flesh and the pull of the world. Because the next passage here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. And he makes this very, 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 very radical, crazy, over-the-top statement. He says, If you come to him and don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, brother, and sister, and even your own life, then you can't be my disciple. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus saying, when you come to me, you go find your mom, like, Mom, I hate you, and walk off. That's not what Jesus is saying. You don't go home to your children and say, I never did like any of you anyway, and now I can tell you, I hate all of you. <laughs> That's not true. I love my kids. But what he is saying, Jesus is trying to awaken our hearts to how deep our devotion to him must be. Our passion and love for Christ should be so consuming and so deep that our love for every other relationship seems like hate in comparison. That our passion and our pursuit of God consumes us to the point that every other relationship 
pales in comparison to that one. And you may act like, well, Mark, that one might hurt my marriage. No, it won't. It is exactly what your marriage needs. Your husband and your wife, they need to see you pursuing God. They need to see your hunger for God. They need to see you say, I am passionate for Christ. They need to see you say, honey, I'm going to turn off the television for a minute and I'm going to go pray. They need to see that. Your kids need to see that too. He's trying to awaken our hearts. Because our passion and love for Christ is a deep calling. It's a deep commitment. But this is how worship is defined in the New Testament. It's not just a song. It's not just phrases that we speak towards God. Worship is not just saying, I exalt you, God. I worship you, God. I praise you, God. Although that is worship. It's not just words or phrases or songs that we sing. Worship, as defined by the New Testament, is the life that we live. Presenting our bodies, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. Presenting our bodies is our reasonable act of service or our reasonable act of worship. Presenting our bodies is an act of worship. So that means that obedience, service, and giving all become acts of worship. Not just the singing. Not just the lifting of our hands. Not just because someone sings a special song and tears roll down our eyes. Worship is obedience. It's service. It's giving. And they are all decisions that we need to make. When? Every day. Forever. At all times. Continually. It's a worship decision. So the worship decision, folks, is the most, decision we, most important decision we can make. Because when it comes down to it, we are all worshipers. You may not want to admit it. You may even sit in here and say, I don't even believe in a divine power. Then we take a God substitute instead. We're all worshipers. Which means confronting the excuses or the idols that keep us from making that decision every day is a very important decision. It's a very important decision. It's a decision that I have failed at many times. A decision that I don't recognize because it's not as easy to see my own sin as it is to see yours. It's not as easy to see my own idols, my own excuses, as it is to see yours. But this is a very important decision that we need to make every day. So I challenge you this morning as I close, let our hearts be open enough to allow God to reveal excuses that keep us away from his banquet and keep us away from joyfully joining him at the table. Because he's inviting you, come. Come. Because when you come, it's an act of worship. When you come, it's a worship decision. When you place yourself before God and say, help me, it's a worship decision. When you kneel before God and say, I have sinned, forgive me, that's a worship decision. When you give in the offering by faith, when it doesn't even seem like you can, you made a worship decision. When you obey God when it seems like it's not the best time or the most comfortable thing, you made a worship decision. When you decide, I'm going to serve, if nobody else will do it, I'm going to serve, it's a worship decision. When you decide to share your faith with someone that's broken and hurting, it's a worship decision. Forever. Every day. At all times. Continually. I challenge you. Make the worship decision. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for how faithful you are. You are a good God. Your mercy never ends. The Bible says your greatness is unsearchable. 
Thank you, Father, for your kindness that draws us to repentance. And thank you for your forgiveness that we need every day. Thank you, Lord, that even when we wrestle with doubts and insecurities and skepticism, that you are ready to tell us, come to the table. Come to the table. Come to the table. And so we focus our attention on you. And in this month of November, Lord, may our hearts be committed to being people of gratefulness, of thankfulness, of praise, of worship. Help us every day make the worship decision. And not only the songs that we sing or the words that we speak, but in the life that we live. May we bring you praise.